Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now, I skipped around a little bit over the last couple weeks, but this morning we come to verses 20, 21, and 22. And I grouped these together intentionally because I think they have a common theme running through them. So let's read God's Word, and then we'll make our comments. Hebrews 11 and 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, that's Ephraim and Manasseh, and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. The subject this morning is, by faith, we die. By faith, we die. We have seen a common theme through all of the faith examples. And whether you realize it or not, in each of these faith examples that we've looked at, there was a future expectation involved. There was something that was not seen. And that's where faith, we read, is the definition is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, granted, the first example jumps back a little bit, but it's something we haven't seen He says, through faith we understand the worlds were framed. We weren't there to see that, you understand? But we expect and we have a hope and we understand through what we know that that's what happened. By faith, Abel offered unto God a sacrifice, not knowing if God would be pleased with his sacrifice. You see, he had a hope that God would be pleased. By faith, Enoch, he served God and pleased God. Enoch knew that judgment was coming, but he had not seen it, and yet he preached that there's coming a judgment. Remember in Jude, it says that, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Even foreshadowing the end of time in the days of Enoch. Then we read about Noah, who was warned, and he had not seen the flood. It's very likely he hadn't seen rain. And yet he moved and he acted in faith based on something he hadn't seen. Abraham is pretty obvious, isn't it? Abraham didn't even possess the land that he went into. He wandered around the land, but God said, I'm going to give this land to your, ancestors, to your descendants for a possession. Abraham didn't see that. Sarah could not see the baby that she was going to be holding in her arms eventually, but God promised, and he promised, and he promised again and again. You know, even Sarah tried to mess that up at least once or more, and she laughed. Whenever she scoffed, you know, whenever the Lord said, you're going to have, Sarah's going to have a son. And then she laughed in a different way after she held that baby, that promised baby Isaac in her arms. You see how all of these things carried an expectation with them. Something that they haven't seen. Something that we haven't seen. And notice in verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. But they were persuaded... And they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then we come to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now granted, Isaac is just a little bit different than Jacob and Joseph because Isaac just thought he was about to die. <laughs> Isaac lived for several years, but Isaac believed he was sort of a, you know, sort of a hypochondriac. You know, he was like, I think I'm about to die, so I better do this. He thought he was about to die. He dies 20 plus years later, but... No question that Jacob, when he did his blessings, he was about to die. And Joseph, 
He very soon after did what he did, he died. So you see, by faith we understand things. By faith we offer sacrifices. By faith we please God. By faith that God has given us, we're moved in respect of what God says. By faith we go. By faith we laugh like Sarah and Abraham did. We rejoice in the promises of God. And then there's the other end of that. By faith we die. Now let me just, let me just say this to you. Relax. Relax. You're going to die. <laughs> just relax. Death is a certainty unless the Lord comes back. The old saying, you know, there's only two things certain, death and taxes. <laughs> well, even taxes are going to go away. <laughs> but death is certain unless the Lord comes back. So Relax. If you don't see the Lord in your lifetime splitting the skies and coming forth with the trumpet sound, relax. You're going to die. I think that's something that we have definitely lost sight of. And I believe what we find here in the examples of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, how they acted in faith when they were practically on their deathbeds. There's the old saying that says, you know, I want a belief that's good enough to live by. But well, I want to tell you, I want a belief also that's good enough to die by. And so the elephant in the room oftentimes is death. Death is a certainty. Death is a reality. Parents, come on, you know what I'm talking about. When your child, well, even before your child got that driver's license. But especially, after you've, I heard people say that for years. Now, when they get their driver's license, you're going to enter a whole new realm of worry and concern. And I'll say, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm super Christian. Just kidding, I didn't think that. But it is a whole new realm of worry. And I'm going to tell you, I like Life 360. I like being able to tell where the kids are. But it also makes me worry because every now and then the signals don't come through and you'll see a little bleep of which, whichever child it is that's driving. It'll be stopped on the road somewhere. And I, I start having just a little bit of a panic thinking, oh my, oh my. But even before that, parents, come on. Surely you're like me, and some little pitter-patter would come at the door at, in, at 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't feel good. <laughs> They'd be coughing. I, many times I'd sit there and think, oh my gosh, this is it. <laughs> this, this little, this little fellow's going to die. I thought that many times. And then if they had a stomach bug, I think I was going to die. Because <laughs> I dread that for sure. You know, even now, I, I, every time that uh, Brother Asher goes out and, and he, they practice football, you know, I think about spinal injuries. When the girls go and practice volleyball, y'all can say I'm crazy, but I think, you know, what if they missed the ball and it hit their nose and shoved their nose up into their brain and killed them? <laughs> Am I the only crazy person that thinks stuff like that? Death is a reality. It's a reality. We're not getting, a, we're not getting out of this world alive unless the Lord comes back. I've thought about my kids and how much vexation I personally have had over things that they would do and worrying about them. Jumping on the trampoline, bouncing off on top of their head. I mean, come on. Death is a reality. I think, and then I think about my poor mother <laughs> and all the stuff I put her through because I was a pretty adventurous young man. You hear that? It's okay for the sisters to amen, especially my mama. She amen that. Uh, I, I can imagine what she thought when I told her about you know climbing you know, mountains and stuff out in Colorado. She's probably thinking, oh, Lord, protect that poor, foolish child. <laughs> and death is a re reality. Relax. You're going to die. The question is, are we going to see ourselves as 
Isaac and Jacob and Joseph died? Or are we going to live in a terrible fear of what may happen and what may come? Several years ago, um, my good friend who has now passed on, he's with the Lord, Mr. Newman Payne from Gordo. He was married to Miss Peggy Payne for, for many, many years. And Miss Peggy, just, she just up and died just out of the blue. She had a heart attack. Just, you know, no signs of anything. She just up and died. And I talked to Mr. Newman sometime after that. He was obviously upset and distressed over it. But he told me something that stuck with me. He said, you know, he said, the morning that she died, he said, I got up, I got dressed. He said, I kissed her, told her I love her, went off to work. Never saw her again in this life. He's with her now, don't worry. He said, you know, he said, I can't imagine leaving if we'd have been in an argument or if we'd have been fussing about something or crossed up and she'd passed away. I thought, what a great lesson. What would be the last words you would want to leave if it was the last time you would, you would spend talking with someone on this earth or you would spend talking or someone else would spend talking with you? How would you want to leave it? Think about that. Because we don't have any guarantees about what the next moment's going to hold. The Lord can come back in the next moment. Praise God. And what I'm preaching would be totally vindicated. <laughs> that we don't have to die. The Lord's come back and we can just be translated. We can just be transformed by God's power. But think about that. That stuck with me with what Mr. Newman said. We ought to be driven by how we believe and by what God has done for us and the blessings that He's given us. And I tell you, We'll see from the scripture here that Isaac, he did some blessings. He blessed when he was near death. And we see that Jacob blessed when he was near death. And Joseph also blessed and magnified the Lord even in his death. The word blessed right there where it says by faith Isaac blessed, by faith when he was, uh, Jacob when he was dying blessed. The word blessed means literally to celebrate. And that's not something we think about when we die, to celebrate. But I tell you, child of God, just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Solomon said that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth because that is the transition that puts you in the presence of the Lord. You see, that is the greatest day that will ever be. I've experienced some great days. I'll tell you right now, you can ask the guys that uh, my family, yesterday was a great day. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. But I've had some great times and some great moments, but the best day that I've ever had or ever will have in this life cannot compare to the day that my life ends and I see the Lord. So relax. By faith, we die. By faith, Isaac died. And in faith, Jacob died. And in faith, Joseph died. And I think this is a relevant message, especially when so many are so afraid. And I get it. I get it. I don't want... I don't want to be irresponsible and I don't want to get something that's not necessary to get like the coronavirus or something like that. But, you know, whether it's the coronavirus or whether it's a, some type of cancer or whether it's some situation that comes along, just a tragedy, something's going to get us. Death is going to come. But aren't you glad that death doesn't have the last say? Isn't that great? So Isaac, let's consider Isaac first. Isaac was the covenant child. You understand, God said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And eventually God said, you're going to call his name Isaac. Sarah's going to have this boy. She was 90. And you know, try preaching sometimes. You you always forget something that's a very key thing that you wish you hadn't forget. Well, the most key thing I wish I hadn't forgotten last week was to tell y'all that Isaac's name itself 
the name Isaac means he laughs. <laughs> so they named the boy Laugh. That's the name of Isaac. It means he laughs. I think God was kind of playing a little joke on him. Like, you know, Abraham scoffed and laughed and Sarah scoffed and laughed. And the Lord said, well, I just name him Laugh. <laughs> he laughs. So the covenant child, Isaac, the covenant child, it says that he blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Y'all understand that he celebrated what God was doing with Jacob. We know that in Romans 9 and also over the book of Genesis, it says that Jacob was the chosen child. He was the preferred child over Esau. Now, from a natural standpoint, that doesn't make any sense. But then again, if you understand something about depravity, it makes perfect sense. Because in God's eyes, both Jacob and Esau were equally in sins. You know, in Romans 9, it says that, the, uh, that it was said to the mother, it was said to Rebecca, that the boys have done no good or evil. There was, that would be silly to say, well, those boys had in the womb, you know, had done this or done that, so therefore that was why God chose one over there. No! It says, that them having neither done any good or nor evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, God's sovereignty would stand. It was said to the mother, it was said to Rebecca, the elder shall serve the younger. It's also said in Malachi and in Romans, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And if you understand anything about grace and depravity, it's not amazing that God hated Esau. It's not amazing. It's amazing that God loved Jacob. <laughs> so you see, uh, Jacob, Isaac was the covenant child, and he blessed Jacob as the very embodiment of that covenant. You see, and also think about this. Jacob was the second born. He, he was a twin and he comes out after Esau. So it was going to take some act of God to promote the second born over the first born. And in spite of all of the deceiving and finagling and such that his mother did and all of the drama that went on in the house and, you know, Jacob deceived his father and so forth. Let me tell you, they were just muddling up what God said he was going to do. <laughs> you see, if they had just relaxed and just stepped back and let God do his thing, everything would have been fine. You know why? Because what God basically did was he adopted Jacob over Esau. And he placed Jacob in a family position in front of Esau. In God's decree, in God's mind, that's what God was doing. So even though he was the secondborn, he still, God placed him as the firstborn. See, God can do that. God can negate natural ties and by, from a spiritual standpoint in his power, he can do whatever he pleases. So you see, Isaac celebrates Jacob, the choice of Jacob. Are y'all hearing me about this now? I'm telling you, if you want to have, be able to face whatever comes in the future, if you want to be able to face the trials and tribulations of life and eventually face death, we must celebrate the covenant of God. You see, God has established a covenant with his people. And there's a people of God out of every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and nation. And I take great exception to those that would say, well, if you don't do this, then you can't be in. If you haven't done this or said this or been good enough or whatever, you can't be. That's not what God says. God's covenant goes into every family on the earth. 
wherever they may be. God's covenant, that's what kindred means. God's covenant goes to every tribe on the earth. That's some uh, ethnic group. God's covenant goes to every nation on the earth. That means any nation that exists. You understand God has a people in every family, every ethnic group, and every nation on the planet at all times in which the planet has been here. Hey, can you conclude with me? That's a lot of people. (laughs) That's a lot of people. So don't ever let anybody say, well, y'all those old primitive Baptists, y'all just believe it's just a little chosen few going to heaven. We're the only ones that preach that that number's going to be there. Because it's not based on Jacob's choice. (laughs) It's based on God's choice. And remember this, God and His sovereignty didn't have to choose anybody. You understand that? If God had said, they're wicked, the whole human race is corrupt, I'm not choosing anybody. He's not obligated to choose anybody. If it, listen, in glory, before the world was formed, it was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And if there was no one in heaven, after the earth is gone and the Lord had put it, put it away, if it was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, it's still God's glory, you see? But God in His, listen, in His love, for His great love wherewith He loved us, it's because of love that that multitude will be there. And Isaac knew that he was the chosen covenant child. And Isaac knew that Jacob, even though Isaac did a pretty bad job as a father favoring even Esau, who he knew was not the covenant child, the adopted child, the firstborn that God would place in front of the firstborn. He did a pretty pitiful job acknowledging that, but he ultimately does acknowledge it. And even when he's close to dying, he blesses Jacob. And he's blessing. He's celebrating the choice of God. Do you celebrate the covenant of God this morning? That God looked upon you and your sins and your ruined condition. And God said it was the time of love. Not the time of harshness and not the time of legalism and not the time of good works outweighing your bad works, but it was a time of mercy and love. And God extended mercy. Isaac believed that. Isaac died by that. He he blessed the covenant of God. The covenant child blessed the covenant of God. And then it says that by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Now, this is interesting. This is in Genesis 48, if you want to turn there. It's going to be worth reading a little bit about what goes on there. This is after Joseph and Jacob had been reunited after 20 plus years of of Jacob, uh, Joseph being sold into slavery and down there in the nation of uh, Egypt. And so several years has gone by. And in Genesis 48, it says that it came to pass after those things that one told Joseph, behold, your father's sick. And Joseph takes his two sons. You remember, Joseph had two sons in Egypt, and their names were Manasseh and Ephraim. And it's always struck me that after they go back into the promised land, you hear a lot about the half-tribe of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Ephraim. This is why you hear about them so much. Because Joseph brings his two sons, and they're little boys. It says they were hanging around his legs. (laughs) They were probably four and two or, or six and four. They were very little boys. And Jacob is about, is getting close to dying. <clears throat> and so um, Joseph brings his two boys there. And as he comes in there, notice in verse 5, Jacob is an old man. It's hard for him to see. And he looks at the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, <clears throat> which were born unto, uh, he says, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. 
as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue are your other children, which you beget after these two boys. They will be yours and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. But these two boys, he's adopting Ephraim and Manasseh. Y'all hear me? Jacob, who was the second born and who God placed in the position of the firstborn, is adopting these boys of Joseph. And Joseph brings them closer to him. And Jacob wants to put his hands on them to bless them as his children. And so basically, Joseph has the oldest on his right and the youngest on his left. And Jacob reaches out to the youngest. He crosses hands and he puts his right hand on the youngest, which was Ephraim. And so if you can get the picture in your mind, Joseph has these two little boys right by the bed, the dying bed of Jacob. And Jacob, even in his blindness, reaches out and puts his blessings of the firstborn hand upon the youngest of Joseph. And Joseph says, no, 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 wait a minute, Dad. You, you got it. And he said, nope. He said, I know whose hand I've got my hand on, whose head I've got my hand on. Now, this, this is significant. This is how Jacob was blessing the boys of Joseph. He adopts them, and then he blesses the younger. Now, listen to me. You want to have a neat little Bible study, I'll give you one. Go and look up the word Ephraim, which was the youngest of Joseph. You will find Ephraim all throughout the Old Testament. And it's because of this right here. Joseph elevates Ephraim over the firstborn. Now that's what, excuse me, Jacob. Jacob elevates Ephraim over the firstborn. This is very similar to the experience that Jacob had, you see? So Jacob, in his dying breaths, he is celebrating God's adoption. God looked upon Jacob and Esau and could have passed over both of them. And God said, I'm adopting Jacob. And if you know anything about the life of Jacob, we've said many times, he was, he was a worm. He was, a, he was, a, he was a, probably a little mama's boy. I'm not saying he was a sissy. I don't mean that. But he hung around the tent a lot. He was kind of a mama's boy. You know, he, was in, he wasn't into the things that old rough Esau was into out there hunting and fishing and doing all the stuff that he did. That he did. And God adopted Jacob and he passed over Esau. Y'all understand that he didn't do, God didn't do Esau any harm by passing over him. Have you ever seen anybody get mad at parents who go to an orphanage and there's a hundred orphans there and they adopt one? Nobody says, well, that's just not fair. They should have adopted that 99. And we don't even afford God that pleasure, do we? We say, well, that's not fair. God should have adopted all a hundred of them. God didn't have to adopt anybody. They were ruined in sins. Jacob was in sins when he was born, see? But in honor and celebration of adoption, Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob promotes the youngest over the oldest. Now, remember Joseph is standing there. Joseph is standing there and he's got the two boys around his leg, you know, down around his legs, knees. And Jacob uh, does his thing. And then... Sometime previous to this, Jacob had taken an oath from Joseph. And the oath was this. Jacob said, when I die, don't bury me in Egypt. Take me back up to where my progenitors are buried. Abraham, Isaac, my mother. Take me back up there where my mother is buried, where my grandmother is buried. Back up into the promised land. 
And so sure enough, when Jacob dies, you read on through chapter 49, Jacob's on his dying bed. He blesses the rest of his sons. And then he dies. And Joseph, they go on a month-long journey to go and bury um, Jacob back up in the promised land. You see, why, why did they do that? It's because God had promised many, many years before that they were going to come out of Egypt. Egypt was not their home. And so guess what? You turn over to Genesis, the 50th chapter, as Joseph is near death, it says in verse 25, the last two verses of Genesis 50, let's read verse 24, last three verses. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, unto the land which we, he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from thence. From hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, I want you all to get this picture in your mind. And I tried to use some numbers to hope, hopefully make, it, make the point. In 2026, if I did my math right, and I'm not very good at math, this country will be 250 years old. Am I right? <laughs> 250 years old in 2026. Okay? This would be like Benjamin Franklin, who died in 1790. It would be like Benjamin Franklin saying to the founding fathers, now, in, in 390 or 400 years... I want you to take my bones somewhere and bury them somewhere in America. <laughs> you know, Benjamin, I've been to his grave a couple times. Benjamin Franklin died in 1790. It would be like in 2190. We were over halfway there, but it would be like in 2190. We hold on to Benjamin Franklin's bones and then we say we're going to bury him where he said to go and bury him. Can y'all picture that? That Joseph's bones set in somebody's house for around 400, maybe 350 years, because Joseph was over 100 when he died, they were going to be down there for 430 years. So for 300 plus years, somebody, some child would say, whose dead body wrapped up like a mummy is that? Oh, that's Joseph's bones. Well, what in the, why don't we bury him, daddy? <laughs> no, he made us swear an oath. He made my great-grandfather swear an oath that we take him out whenever we go out of, out of where? This is our home, right? No, Egypt is not our home. You see that even in death, in Joseph taking an oath of them in death, he was magnifying the exodus that was coming. You know, you, Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Bible, that's what it means to exit. Exodus means to exit. And so Joseph in his death, by faith, he was magnifying the coming exodus of God. I ask you the question, does our life, does your life, does the way that we have acted over the last few months in fear or whatever, or maybe sometimes in anger or frustration, uh, how we post things, how we react to things, does our life, like Joseph, magnify the coming exodus? Because remember what I told you, we're, we're all going to die unless the Lord comes back. Don't we want our life to magnify the exodus, the exit from this world? Don't we want how we live and how we die to magnify the fact that we don't belong here? Is that not what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says these all died in faith. They died in faith. 
They did not receive the promises, but they saw them afar off. They were persuaded of them and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. One of the reasons that I think that Isaac and Jacob and Joseph are tied together here like this, and it speaks of how they blessed others and magnified God's exodus and and celebrated God's adoption and blessed his covenant. One of the reasons I think they're tied together is because these men experienced amazing providence in their life. Did they not? You know, think about it, the covenant child, Isaac, who no doubt every day of his life when he was old enough to hear, heard about what God had done for Abraham and what God had done for Sarah. And no doubt, we have no doubt that Isaac himself was there on the mount and saw Jesus in a figure there. You know, Jesus says that your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day over in the book of John. But guess who else was there? Isaac was also there. Isaac also saw the lamb caught in the bush. Isaac also understand that, that he got up, the ropes were cut, and the lamb was laid down and sacrificed. You see? Oh, what an amazing providence. Isaac was there and saw that. And I guarantee you, he never forgot it. And what about Jacob? Jacob did everything. He tried everything he could possibly do to mess up his life, didn't he? I mean, lying to his father, disguising himself, making his brother so mad that his brother wanted to murder him, going off and, and, and he kissed this girl. You know, the first two minutes that he meets her, that was a big mistake. <laughs> And he doesn't kiss her again for seven years. I mean, this guy, he goes into the house of Laban, who was what we would call a horse trader. Nothing against horse traders. I've traded a few horses. But I mean, this guy, he was a shyster. He was one that was, was you couldn't trust him. And he lives in this house, and they bargain back and forth, double-cross each other. I mean, Jacob. And then all of a sudden, then he has kids with these two different, four different women, two wives and two co-wives. And he favors one of the children, two of the children over all the others. I mean, this man tries every way he possibly can. And yet God's providence, God's provision is still there in his life. I tell you, that ought to give us hope because we mess up our lives, don't we? That ought to give us hope. It was Jacob who nervously and fearfully had sent everyone across the brook Jabbok that night, expecting to be attacked at any moment by his brother, who 20 years or so before had said, I'm going to kill him. And not only that, he's heard that his brother's got 400 men out there. He's got an army out there waiting for him. Jacob is nervous and he's upset. (laughs) And yet, in that miserable man's life, in that dramatic life that that man had, and the bad choices that he makes, who comes in the middle of the night as a shadow and wrestles with him there on the side of the brook? (laughs) And I tell you, if you read that carefully, and I may have shared this here recently, it might have been up at Zion, but if you read that carefully, you'll read that Jacob was wrestling against this man when he started. This man was the son of God, by the way. In the dark, wrestling with this man, thinking somebody's come to kill us, somebody's come to destroy us. And he wrestles for hours with this man. And after a while, Jacob realizes who this man is. It's the son of God that he's wrestling with. And, and then the, the tone changes. He was wrestling against this man, and now he's wrestling to keep this man. You ever been that way? You ever wrestled against God and against God and against God until you finally realized you were wrestling against God and then you wanted to wrestle with Him to keep Him there, to keep that feeling, to not let that spirit go. Lord, stay with me. I didn't realize it was you. That's the providence that God was giving in the life of Jacob. He wrestled with Jesus. Need I say anything about Joseph? 17 years old, completely written off, sold into slavery by his brothers, wanted to be murdered by his brothers. For 20 plus years in a strange land, in a strange house, in a strange prison, magnified to the second in command in Egypt. Can you think of any 
more providential story besides Jesus, of course, than Joseph, who is a type of Jesus, who's a picture of Jesus. You know, one of the Ecclesiastes verses says, out of prison he cometh to reign. Oh my goodness, Joseph came out of prison to reign over Egypt. Our Savior did too, by the way. Out of the prison of the grave, he came forth to reign. You see, nobody ever saw that coming. These men all experienced great providence in their lives. So they had a great hope for the future. Isaac, he blessed the covenant of God. Jacob celebrated God's adoption. And Joseph, when he commanded that his bones be taken out 300 plus years down the road, he magnified the exodus of God. God said, I'll take you out of Egypt. Jacob, uh, Joseph said, I believe that. Take my bones when you go. I told you about the Ten Commandments movie before. The old Charlton Heston one. If you'll watch carefully through that movie, which is a long one, when they come out, you'll see the, the mood will change and the music will go to sort of a funeral sound. Like, oh, you know. They're coming out, they're happy. And then you see these guys carrying this coffin. And in the movie, that's the bones of Joseph. You see that throughout that exodus and by the way you say well that's movie conjecture no it says that Moses took the bones of Joseph (laughs) and they buried him in the promised land interesting isn't it that they also carried those bones around with them for the 40 years that they wandered out in the wilderness just carry don't you know they got tired of carrying those bones but ultimately finally they buried him his bones are buried somewhere in the promised land today Those bones, when the Lord comes back and and brings us exodus or exit from this world, those bones are not going to come out of Egypt. Those bones of Joseph are going to come back together and they're going to come out of the old promised land. You see? So, by faith, we die. From the moment that you came into this world, sad to say, but you began to die. Every beat of your heart and every breath that you take is one less that you'll take in this world. Those are sobering thoughts. If you don't temper those thoughts with the faith that God has given you, the hope, the expectation of deliverance, you could get very depressed thinking about stuff like that. If I sat there and dwelled on the different ways that my kids could meet their end, I don't think I'd ever let them out of the house. And then they'd probably wind up getting killed somehow in the house. (laughs) Fall down one of the 400 steps that we have in our house. (laughs) That's where you'll find me and Sister Tracy one day, no doubt. When we're old, we're going to be at the bottom of some steps, crumpled up in a bag of bones there. So if you don't hear from us from a Sunday or two, come check the bottom of one of our steps. We didn't think about that when we were, uh, you know, 30-something and uh, excited about building steps in a house. So are you fearing death? Don't. Don't fear death. I tell you, we've got a message like none other. We've got a belief and a hope like none other. Uh, I was just talking to Brother Brian uh, a couple weeks ago. We were talking about at his dad's funeral, his dad who took his own life, one of my dear friends. And I'm telling you, I still to this day have people come to me and say, you know, that, that funeral was like nothing we've ever been to. You know why? Because we, we talked about the truth of God's Word that no matter how you leave this life, no matter how ugly death is, It's not the end. And no matter how you leave this life, if someone takes their own life, or if they're killed tragically or by sickness or whatever, that's not the last word. God has the last say. 
You see, that's glorious. I still, somebody came up to me after that funeral was over, had a funny look on their face, and they said, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but I enjoyed that. <laughs> I said, brother, say it. Say it. If the Lord's touched your heart and you feel the hope and the expectation of deliverance that this is not the end, but it's merely just a transition, then say it. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this as we bring our remarks uh, to a close this morning. Whenever David faced off with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, you know, the stone that David um, accurately threw and God blessed to go to the target that he was aiming for, the forehead of that giant, that big, nasty, probably 10 to 14 foot tall giant. The stone is not what killed Goliath. Y'all know that. Y'all have read that, right? The stone just knocked him down and stunned him. And he's laying there with his big old self laying there on the ground. And David goes up and he takes the sword, which was probably huge. The sword was probably seven feet long. Who knows? And so David takes the sword out of the sheath of the giant, his own weapon, and he rears it back and he whacks off the head of the giant. He killed Goliath with his own sword. Are y'all with me? And so it says in the same book that we're in, in Hebrews, the second chapter and verse 14, listen to what it says. Don't miss this language because I don't want you to fear death. Now, we, we may not enjoy the process of dying, that's for sure. It was very tragic and sad for us to watch my dad as over a 16-year period, he continued to go down and down and down until he finally passed. The process of dying is not a great thing. We shouldn't be going, away. I can't wait for the process of dying. But when death comes, I want you to know it's not the end. It's just a, it's just a passing. It's just a transition. And look at Hebrews 2. Watch this in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also himself likewise took part of flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So you understand that Jesus took the weapon of the enemy. The weapon of the enemy is death. It says that Satan has power over death. How do we know that? Because he lied in the Garden of Eden and he said, in the day you eat thereof, you're not going to die. God has said, you shall surely die. Death will come. And Satan told Eve, you shouldn't, you're not going to die. Go ahead and try it. And so he tried. they try it. She gives it to Adam and mankind dies. You see, that's the power of Satan. And just like David went to that giant and he took, he bruised the head of that giant and he took the sword of that giant, which was his chief weapon, and he whacked the head off of that, of that giant. So Jesus took the chief weapon, the sword of Satan, and he whacks off Satan's head. Isn't that glorious? He uses the very mechanism that scares you and me. He overcame death. So you don't fear death. One place in the, in the letters it says that he has abolished death. Abolished means to put out of business. A lot of folks have been going out of business, haven't they? Well, I want you to know that Jesus has abolished, has put out of business the business of death. You say, well, Brother Tim, everybody's still dying. Don't fear it because it won't have the last say. It will not. 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to the clear, plain language of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. 
If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, in this body, do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. See, Paul's saying, if we die, we are clothed with immortality whenever, after we die. Now, he that wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. God has made this happen. Who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident. Are you confident, child of God, by faith? Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. This really doesn't have anything to do with faith, does it? Read the next verse. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Do you see that? This has everything to do with faith. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, if our body expires, it's not the end. If our body is ravaged with cancer and we succumb to the treatment or to the cancer... Or we succumb to the virus, or we succumb to the car wreck, or we succumb to the drowning, or we succumb to this or to that. It's not the end. At that point, we will be clothed with immortality. So by faith, we die. Paul said in Philippians 1, he said, For to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I think only the child of God can say that. Everybody else says, you know, live it up, you know, make what you can, can what you make, sit on the lid so none can escape, and it's here now, you know, YOLO, all this stuff. I'm telling you, it's not YOLO. It's not you only live once. You only live forever. The wicked will live forever, paying for their sins on the lake of fire. God's sheep will live forever, praising and magnifying His holy name for His covenant of love. Why not do that now instead of living in fear? Oh, be sensible. Be responsible. Don't tempt God. Even Jesus didn't tempt God. But don't live in fear. Bless the covenant. Celebrate the adoption. And magnify your exodus from this world one day. You know, these men were men of great providence in their lives. And you all could give your accounts of great providence. I want you to know, even in the midst... If we sit there and we watch the news or we watch CNN or Fox or we, we just read the gloom and doom that's in the media, I'm just telling you, you're going to miss seeing the providence of God. If that's all you see, now I don't mean, you know, check on it, see what the numbers are, whatever, but if you're just looking at that and straining at that, you're going to miss the providence of God. Because God's still out there. God's still dealing with us in our lives. God is still on the throne. In the, in the life of Isaac, in the life of Jacob, in the life of Joseph, look at the ways that God was providential. And the God of the olden times is just the same today. <laughs> Some of you know we went to the Bear Creek Association. I'll leave you with this. This is just a little, hopefully, encouraging story of God's providence. Uh, excuse me. We went to the Rich Mountain Association. The Rich Mountain Association up in Arkansas, Brother Adam Green. And we're staying in a nice house there. Got there Thursday night, Friday morning. About 4 o'clock in the morning, I mean, the, the worst thunderstorm that I think I have ever heard in my life came through there. And by the way, they were very dry up there. They hadn't had rain in weeks. And this thunderstorm came through. It was one of those at first where, you know, it would boom and then you'd wake up and you'd go back to sleep. At least I would. And then about 4.30 or so, this, this earth-shaking lightning strike boom 
it felt like it hit our the house we were staying in. And I, I, it completely woke me up. It shook the foundations of the house. And I thought, we need to go to the basement probably. This is terrible. <laughs> and it began to rain. And it rained for about two hours. Three, two or three hours. It, was, it had stopped raining by the time we got to the church, which was way back in a beautiful setting in the country. And Brother Adam got up that morning. And I like the way Brother Adam thinks. Because he thinks a lot like I do. He said... Brothers, I know y'all heard this storm that came through this morning and the loud boom and the loud thunder and the loud lightning. He said, and by the way, we're up in the mountains up there in Hot Springs area. And he said, brothers, I just like to believe that the Lord was just riding into the valley to come to our meeting. And I, I told him, I said, I like the way Brother Adam thinks. That's how I like to think. You say, well, that's just fiction or whatever. Well, I, I'm not through with my story yet. So amazing service on Friday, Friday night. Saturday morning we had an amazing service. And as you know, we met a couple of our friends there, Elder David Crawford and his wife Sherry, who hasn't flown since 2007. And she flew up there. It was a wonderful time. Brother David preached that morning. Uh, Brother Mark Quarles preached. And Brother David and Sister Sherry brought a couple with them that's been attending McClenney Church. And I got a, a chance that morning at breakfast to visit with this young man. He's probably 30-something. And he was sharing with me his experience of coming to see the truth. And he was in another order, actually in the hierarchy of another group of people. And I asked him, I said, well, what, did you listen to preaching? Did you hear? Uh, you know, did, did you run into Brother David at the coffee shop? Did you run into Brother so-and-so, Brother Gordon down there, you know, in West Jacksonville? He said, no. He said, God showed it to me. So I started hearing things. I started studying so he didn't even have a basis from which a person shared this with him. I thought, that's amazing. That's providential, is it not? So we went to the meeting that morning, and the, and the brother, uh, they, he was there, and his wife was there, and the preaching was great, the singing was great. It was awesome, and, and the, they concluded the service, prayed the prayer over the meal, and we all went outside, headed to go eat. We were happy and satisfied, fat in the, in the Lord. And somebody came to the door and said, hey, come back in, come on back in. And in the back of my mind, I thought, you know what? I bet, I bet that brother's joined. Sure enough, we go back inside, and that little brother is up there. Brother David's talking to him. Brother Adam's talking to him. And he came and joined the church right there. And they said, well, you know, we'll baptize him when you get back to McClinney. He said, no, I want to be baptized right now. So I ran to the truck. I got a pair, extra pair of jeans and brought it to him. You know, I said, brother, you can wear these jeans. Please wear my, my jeans so I can tell everybody that I was a part of this. <laughs> And so he goes and he, he changes clothes and right there we walked out to the creek. You know, about 100 yards. Everybody in the congregation walked out to the creek and stood over the bridge singing hymns to the Lord. And went down in that little section of the creek and found a spot that was about just barely deep enough. And Brother David baptized that brother. Brought him back up out of the water. Took him back over there. We started shaking hands. Brother Adam came to me and he said, you know, Brother Tim? He said, you know, that creek is only usually about three inches deep. But somebody rode into the valley Friday morning. In thunder and in lightning, he rides upon the storm. Somebody rode into the valley. Somebody named Jehovah came into the valley of hot springs for the singular purpose of dropping some rain on those creeks, letting that water rise so we could they could baptize that brother. I tell you, I almost jumped 
six feet in, in the air when he told me that. <laughs> Don't you think for one second that God's not still on his throne? If God will ride in the valley on a storm and make his presence known with his booming thunder, woke you up, didn't I? If he'll make his presence known with his booming thunder, just so that a young brother who's come to see the truth can be baptized, let me tell you what, he's there in your life too. Turn the TV off. Turn the gloom and doom off. Turn off the negativity. Look to the Lord who sits on his throne and do not fear death. If there's one or more here that sees him high and lifted up and riding on that cloud, that storm, what doth hinder you from being baptized?